Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of you, I know, probably watched a great deal of the inauguration this last week. I must profess that I watched none of it. But what I did watch was the retaking of the oath in private. Many of you who watched it know that there was a little stumbling going on between the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and the new President of the United States when it came to the oath of office. In other words, President Obama has already gotten a do-over. How many of you would have liked to have had a second chance? I've already asked you that. Or on the golf course, we call it taking a mulligan. But there are do-overs. The problem is, most of the time, you are not able to rewind the tape of your life. That's why the first passage on your message outline today is so very important. Psalm 145 says, God gives a fresh start to those who are ready to quit. I mean, if you're ready to turn your life around and get a fresh start, God promises to give you one. This morning, as we continue this series on extreme faith, and we talk about extreme do-overs, I'm going to share five secrets of making a fresh start using the letters S-T-A-R-T, five secrets that come from that wonderful little story that I read to you a little while ago from Mark chapter 10 about the blind man whose name was Bartimaeus. Let me refresh your memory. One day, Jesus was walking through the streets of Jericho. As usual, a large crowd following. Sitting by the road was a blind beggar whose name was Bartimaeus. The text says that means son of Timaeus. I'll translate it a little further for you. It means son of the honorable man. But to be blind in the days of Jesus was not the same as being blind in our day. To be blind in Jesus' day meant that you probably could not work, you could not read, you could not write, and you were generally reduced simply to begging. But on this day when Jesus is walking by, Bartimaeus hears the crowd and probably thinks, this is my chance. This is where I could probably get a fresh start. And so he starts yelling and screaming top of his voice to get over that crowd noise, and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that leads us right up to step number one. It starts with an S. Seize the moment. It's carpe diem. Seize the moment. Seize the day. Whatever you want to do, whatever it is you're planning on doing, do it now. Don't say next year, next month, next week. Seize the moment. Now, when Bartimaeus got up that morning, I have a feeling he had absolutely no idea whatsoever that Jesus was going to walk right by him. For him, that day was probably those days we have, a lot of them, called the same old, same old. Sitting in the same place to beg, experiencing that same old, miserable, lonely lifestyle. So he really didn't have any chance to prepare or plan for Jesus. It was an opportunity... We might call them coincidences. I always believe they are God incidences. It just kind of fell right into his lap. It was an opportunity, and so he seized the moment. Now, all around you every day are opportunities for a fresh start. 
All around you every day are opportunities for you to seize that moment. But most of the time, we miss them. There's one word that probably tells us why. That word is procrastination. I read this sign in a gym that I used to go to. It said, I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results and others to show the miles I've charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started. See, procrastination is a very strange phenomenon. We think putting things off until tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next year will make life easier when all it really does is create more stress in our lives. The truth is, we, all really, we already know what the right thing is to do. The truth is, we already know how to do it. The problem is, we keep saying, I'll do it later. I'll do it someday. I'll do it one of these days. Or if you live in Texas, I'm a fixin' to. But friends, the Bible says that we should not presume upon having a tomorrow. When I used to have my radio show, I remember playing a song by a group called the Winans. It was called Tomorrow. And there was a phrase in there. It said, tomorrow, tomorrow. Who promised you tomorrow? Your tomorrow could very well be today. None of us is guaranteed Monday morning, friends. In Job 9.25, it says, My days go quickly, more quickly than a runner. They sprint away. And guess what? The older you get, the faster those days run. Job 8, verse 9, My life is short. We pass like shadows across the earth. We're kind of like a blip on a computer screen. Proverbs 27, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day will bring forth. Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, recognize how few they are, help us spend them as we should. Or Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity. I always believe that God brings people to church for a particular purpose. I don't really care what reason you had in mind when you came today, whether you came because you were really excited to be here, you hadn't been here for a while, I don't care whether you were nagged into submission, God got you here. And he got you here for a reason. And some of you, the reason that you may be here this morning is simply to hear someone speak on behalf of God in God's word and tell you, friends, stop making excuses. Start living the things you know to do. Start living for God right now. Now, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, no procrastination, no backwards looks. You can't put off God's kingdom tomorrow. Seize the day. That's what Bartimaeus did. He grabbed the opportunity, was there for a fresh start. Well, that letter T stands for tame your fear. I mean, fear has an incredible ability to paralyze us. It paralyzes our potential. It keeps us from launching out. It keeps us from having faith in our lives. And if we choose fear, it even makes us skeptical. We're afraid to try anything new. We're afraid to be Jesus freaks, if you will. We're afraid to commit to God. We're afraid to commit to other people. We're afraid to react to Jesus in a certain way for fear that other people will think, you know, we are some sort of wacko. In short, fear makes us short-sighted. We focus on the past all the time. 
Occasionally we look at ourselves in the present, but we rarely ever focus on the future. Now, there are a lot of fears that we face when it comes to the issue of faith and stepping over the line to have what I would call extreme faith. You know, Bartimaeus faced the fear in this story that many of us often face. It is the fear of disapproval. It is the fear of rejection. Bartimaeus knew that it probably wasn't the most polite thing to do to shout at Jesus. It wasn't the great thing to do. It was probably not politically correct to yell in this crowd at a visiting rabbi. But, friends, Bartimaeus was desperate. He was desperate. And he knew that Jesus was the only one who could help him. And look what happens. Mark chapter 10, verse 48. Many of the people scolded him and told him to be quiet. Well, isn't that just like church people? Isn't that just like church people sometimes? You know, that's not the way we do it. We don't shout at the pastor. We don't say amen, whatever. It says, but he shouted ever more loudly, have mercy on me. And when he shouted, everybody said, don't do that, Bartimaeus. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Jesus isn't interested in you, Bartimaeus. Jesus has got more important things to deal with than you, Bartimaeus. Guess what, friends? The devil whispers that in your ear a lot. He whispers it in my ear, too. When the opportunity for some real extreme faith comes into our hearts, there is the devil whispering, Oh, come on, Barry. God surely is not interested in that. Or come on, Nancy, don't make a scene. Or Wayne, what would people think if you did that? Let me ask this, friends. Whose disapproval do you fear the most? Whose disapproval do you fear the most? Whoever that is, that person is your God. That's the one you're worshiping. That's the one you're concerned with. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of human opinion disables you. Trusting in God protects you from all of that. See, the truth is, this, this, this is going to kill some of you, but the truth is you really wouldn't worry so much about what other people think about you if you realize that they're not really thinking about you anyway. They're too busy thinking about themselves because that's exactly what you think about most of the time. Now, someone once asked me, why should faith have fear right alongside of it? I mean, if it's real faith, shouldn't it just kind of come naturally? You know, my answer was this, you know, God often asks us to do some things that are far bigger, far greater than anything we have ever done before. I'm beginning to see that again, not only in my life. I'm beginning to see it in the life of this church, that God is about ready to ask us to do things that are bigger and greater than anything we have ever thought about before. And guess what? While we have faith that we might be able to do it with God's strength, there is a little bit of fear, a little bit of fear. I mean, God is asking us to depend on him in ways that we have never depended before. Now, don't you think that's a little bit scary? Sure it is. But see, in those scary moments of life, we have choices to make. In the scary moments, we can say, am I going to fall back on my fear and stay the way I am? Or am I going to look forward with faith 
and actually step forward in faith. Seize the moment and tame your fear. But here comes the letter A. Announce your faith. Announce your faith. That might strike some of you as kind of odd, but you need to tell somebody about it. In fact, a secret faith is a shallow faith. Oh, and I know that probably hurts some people because I heard a lot of people say, well, it's my faith. It's kind of a private deal. No, friends, it cannot be private. Announce your faith. Share your faith. If you're going to make a change, you need to go ahead and make a public statement. I mean, how many of you ever, you know, when you finally decided, I'm going to diet or lose weight, one of the things that probably helped many of you was actually to go tell somebody you were going to do it so they could hold you accountable. I'm going to read my Bible this year all the way through. You announce that, and guess what? People are going to come up to you and say, where are you at? Yeah, Job, okay, good. I'm glad the answer wasn't Genesis 1, verse 1. <laughs> you make a public announcement and say, this is what I'm asking God to do in my life this year, this day, this month, this week, right now. In this, in this story, verse 51, Jesus asked him, he asked Bartimaeus, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man answered, Teacher, Rabbi, I want to see. Now let's let's pause right here for a moment. Some of you haven't heard this story before. If you've never heard this story before, you thought, that's a dumb question for Jesus to ask. I mean, what was Jesus thinking? He's got a blind beggar sitting in front of him. Can he read that guy's mind? I mean, duh. I mean, look at him. He's blind. He's a beggar. What do you, why would he ask, what do you want me to do for you? Well, he was not doing it for his benefit. He was doing it for Bartimaeus' benefit. See, by allowing or by asking, he allowed Bartimaeus to publicly announce his faith. By asking him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus saying, Teacher, I want you to give me sight. He allowed Bartimaeus, in effect, to say at least three things. One is, I believe you are who you say you are. It gave Bartimaeus the opportunity to say, I believe that you have the power to change me. It gave Bartimaeus the opportunity to say and think and feel, I believe that you can and you will change me. Friends, what would you do today... If Jesus were to come to your house, wherever you live, and he said, friend, I have just but one thing to ask you. And the question is this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? You ought to think about that because he does ask that question. He asks that question all the time. Jesus continually asks, what can I do for you? And the reason he asks that is because he wants to use you. He asks you that question because he wants to bless you. He asks you that question because he wants to help you make changes in your life. He wants to help you do incredible things that you've never thought about before in your life. Things you can't even imagine. But you have to ask. And you need to ask in faith. You know that every time you set a goal, it's really nothing but a statement of faith. When you say, here's my goal, here's my objective, you're saying, this is what I believe God can do in my life at this time. When I stood in this church not so long ago with the screen and the PowerPoint and said, friends, here's some things we could do, I announced that publicly, 
And what I was saying was, this is what I believe God can do in this church. This is what I believe God can do at this time in our life. See, every time you say, this is, this is what I want God to change, or this is my dream, or this is my goal, this is my vision, this is my objective, you are publicly announcing that by faith, you believe God can help you do it. But, <laughs> there's always a but, isn't there? I want to give you a qualifier here. This is not name it and claim it. Here's the qualifier. When you say, I'm going to do this, you need to add the phrase, if it is God's will. If it is God's will. You do that because you really don't know the future. You really don't know what God's plans are for your life. You are not sovereign. God is the one who is sovereign. Here's my goal, if God wills. In fact, a little further in the Bible, James chapter uh, 4, verse 15, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. See, we can't predict the future. So we don't want to be presumptuous, but that doesn't mean that we should not set goals. But you know, friends, when you announce them, the more people can pray for you. When you announce them, the more people can rally around and support you, the more people who can help you, more people who can encourage you. Just saying, go public, announce your faith, and then number four, letter R, receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Verse 52 of the story, Jesus said, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight. Bartimaeus accepted the grace of God. Now, some of you barely made it here today, and I'm not talking about you that can't tell time. I'm talking about some of you that walked in here carrying a heavy load. Some of you, I know, in a crowd this size, are carrying some major conflict or some major pain in your life. You got a little bit of disappointment churning under the surface. Maybe some of you are still battling a little bit of grief. Some of you feel a little bit from time to time like you are Bartimaeus also, sitting kind of on the side of the road, nobody much paying attention. Yeah, you can put on the happy smile, but in inside you're really not feeling all that good. But again, friends, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. You get that he wants to give it to you because you can't earn it and you certainly don't deserve it. I don't care what your past is. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week with guys in the largest maximum security prison in America who've got past, believe me. And I tell them the same thing, guys. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you've done, regardless of the things that you brought on yourself the free gift of God's grace, God's forgiveness, the ability to start over is there. God wants to give it to you. John chapter 1 says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Now, a guy who sits in front of me in prison and says, Hey, Doc, 
you don't know what I've done. My response is, I don't care. Can I be forgiven for that? Yeah, you can. What do I need to do? Answer, you can't do anything. Well, then, how am I going to feel forgiven? Jesus says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess your sins one to another. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just, willing to forgive, to cleanse you. I don't need to do anything? No. You can't do anything. The best stuff you do, the Bible says, are filthy rags, vomitous rags. See, we receive every blessing from him. How do you, how do you receive that then? Simply by faith. Luther even said, you know, we're such miserable beggars, we can't even do that. We're like beggars on the side of the road who aren't even smart enough to raise our hands. And so here comes God through the Holy Spirit and does what? He puts it in our hands for us. For by grace have you been saved by faith. It is a gift of God. Your faith is a gift to you. Romans 4.16 says that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift. You cannot become a person of faith without getting the promises of God somehow in your life. Now, that's why I've been giving you these extreme faith verses. Hopefully, you're memorizing them. Those of you who watch college football like I do, you probably know the name of Tim Tebow, quarterback for the Florida Gators. If you watch any of the football games underneath his eyes, the black patches, Philippians 4.13. Although he kind of threw him a curveball in the national championship game and put John 3.16. And can you believe it? Some people criticized him for switching Bible passages. Now, come on, folks. Get a life. (laughs) Philippians 4.13, because Tim Tebow, a strong Christian, the son of missionary people, understands that I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You can memorize it in whatever version you like. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think you need to memorize those Bible passages to hide those scriptures in your heart because you need the Bible in your life. That's a promise you need to know. Faith comes from the Word of God, and with Jesus' help, those words help you make fresh starts. I'm sitting here thinking, I can't do this. Hey, Philippians 4.13 says I can. I can. I can't do it by myself, but I can do it through Him who gives me the strength. Little boy, his daddy told him to go out in the backyard and move a big rock. Little guy went out in the backyard, he pushed the rock, he pulled the rock, he kicked the rock. It wouldn't move. He got a lever. He learned that in school. It wouldn't move. He got his dog and the neighbor's dog, tied the dogs to the rock, tried to pull the rock. It wouldn't move. He finally comes in, he says, Daddy, I can't do it. It's impossible. His daddy says, have you tried everything? He says, yeah, Daddy, I've tried everything. And his daddy said, you didn't try asking me to help you. See, many of you find yourself in situations, one after the other, where you have tried everything you know how. You've tried all kinds of stuff. You think it's impossible. My life is never going to change. This situation is always going to be that way. But have you ever tried asking God 
and letting him give you the power that you don't have on your own. I mean, Bartimaeus was blind, friends. But he had enough vision to see that it was only Jesus that could help him out. Do you? Do you have that much vision to see that it's only God that's going to help you out in your life? Do you realize how much grace you need in your life? Or do you just think you can just keep on doing it on your own? Spiritual blindness is far, far worse than physical blindness. I always thought to myself, I, I, I would never want to lose my sight. But you know, friends, I would trade my physical eyesight for spiritual eyesight. Because if you're spiritually blind, you have absolutely no idea how much you need God's grace in your life. See, God, God's grace isn't there just to get your sins forgiven or to get you into heaven. I mean, grace is for each and every day. If you don't have grace in your life, you're filled with regret. And if you're filled with regret, you get stuck in the past. And if you get stuck in the past, you're never going to get a brand new start. That's the letter T. Take the next step. Take the next step. Okay, Pastor, what's the next step? Answer? I haven't got the vaguest idea. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> I don't know the answer to that question because every one of us is different. Each of us is at a different stage in our spiritual walk. For some of you, the next step would be actually receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For some of you, I don't know, it might be being baptized. You just never got around to it. You were fixing to do it. For some of you, it might be to get into a Bible study. For some of you, it might be to start tithing. For some of you, it might be to find some sort of ministry to be involved with. For some of you, it might be to figure out that retiring is what you do at night and re-enlisting is what you do in the morning. For some of you, it may be to go on a mission trip. For some of you, the next step might be sharing Jesus with that friend in the neighborhood or that friend at work or that friend in your classroom and invite him or her to church. I don't know what your next step is, but I absolutely positively know this. You got one. See, God will never, ever be finished with taking you deeper in the faith. You will never just arrive. I'm sorry, confirmation doesn't mean the end. There's always a next step forward in faith. There's always a next step forward in love, a next step forward in joy, a next step forward in happiness. And I'll be honest with you, if you listen to this message and you don't take the next step, you're going to get stuck in a rut. And as someone told me a long time ago, the only difference between a grave and a rut is the length. And also know that God is not going to help you with steps three, four, and five unless you're willing to take steps one and two. You're asking, God, help me with this situation. And he's saying, why haven't you done what I've already told you to do? You need to take the next step. Some of you have been saying, I've been aiming to. I've been aiming to 
join that Bible study. I've been aiming to get into that ministry. I've been aiming to invite that person to church. Friends, it's time to stop aiming and just pull the trigger. Verse 52, Bartimaeus regained his sight and he began following Jesus on the road. But guess what? If you go back a few verses, it says Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. What happened? You catch that? Before he met Jesus, he was just sitting there like little Peter and Polly Pewplopper. Just sitting there. But when he met Jesus, when Jesus became real in his life, suddenly he could see and he began doing what? Following. You don't follow by sitting. Which of those two phrases best describes your life, friends? Sitting beside the road or following Jesus on the road? Which one of those two lifestyles do you think would be more fulfilling? Which do you think has more joy or more meaning or more satisfaction? Which one would you want to represent your life? You know, there's only one way to follow Jesus on the road, and that's to take the next step. And, you know, faith is more than believing, and it's more than thinking or talking or having an opinion or having a conviction about Jesus. Faith is an action. Faith is a choice. It's a movement. It's an activity. It's something you do. In the book of James, James says in chapter 2, if people say they have faith but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. So where do you get the faith for a brand new start? I'll spell it for you. J-E-S-U-S. That's where you get it. 1 Corinthians 1.30, everything that we have, right thinking, right living, clean slate, fresh start, comes from God by way of who? Jesus Christ. Friends, Bartimaeus had no idea Jesus was going to walk down that road that day. To him, it was just another day, same old, same old. But God gave him an unexpected opportunity that could change his life. It's a brand new, fresh start. Again, I'm not sure why you're all here today. The reason some of you are here, though, is because God has given you an unexpected opportunity. An unexpected opportunity for a fresh start. Don't blow it. Start living by faith rather than by fear. The Bible says do it, well, the Bible says today and not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. I dare you. I double dog dare you. (laughs) Join me in doing something bold and dramatic. Stepping out in faith to begin a brand new fresh start with God. Trusting him at deeper levels than you've ever trusted him before with your time or your money or your relationships, your future. And like I've said any number of times already today, there's no better time than right now. Let's pray. Father, give us the faith to take the next step in a fresh start with you, beginning this week, beginning today, beginning right now. Father, you have allowed this very moment in our lives so that we could come into contact with you. Forgive us for the times we've procrastinated in doing the right thing. Forgive us for the fears that have caused us to hold back and not trust you completely. Today, Father, we want to receive your full gift, your free gift of grace and forgiveness. 
We want to stop sitting on the side of the road. We want to start following you down the road. We don't want to be ashamed of you. So we ask you to strengthen our faith. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. And we are ready now to take the next step of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.